9 Reasons Why Australia Is Not Heading To A Recession In 2020. Let's have a look. Hello everyone, I'm Florian Heiser and welcome to another episode of Heiser Says. I'm here with my morning stein of coffee. Before I start working, I thought we'd look at this article that was shared to me on LinkedIn. Now this is from Finder and they're a, a market or I think a comparison website. And this was prepared as a follow-on to a previous article the author did, Graham. And it's looking at nine reasons why Australia is not heading for recession in 2021. Good news, fantastic. I thought we'd have a look at it and challenge some of the positions that are put forward. You know, because it seems to be fun to do. <laughs> because, yeah, it all sounds, it's all spin. We'll see, we'll see. So, my recent insights blog painted a pretty gloomy picture for the Australian economy by rounding up 12 reasons why we may be likely to fall into recession by 2020. Following the piece, I asked Finder's panel of market-leading economists whether they thought the matrix sorry, metrics mentioned it actually increased the likelihood of recession. Whenever I think economists, I think matrix. And if you've studied economics, you'll understand. So will, will this metric increase the chance of a recession percentage of experts who agree? Retail weakness, yep. The recent volatility of global market, pretty much. US uh, yield curve inversion, yes. GDP growth per capita decline, yep. New car sales decline, increased mortgage defaults, wage growth decline, Australia's loan book risk profile, shorter holiday bookings, soaring gold price, low property sales volume, drop in number of credit cards. I didn't know number of credit cards dropped. That's probably a good sign. But you can see here, you know, what they're all thinking. Above 50, wage growth decline and above. That's what they consider will, well, a sign that we're heading towards tough times. While economists tend to agree that most of the metrics cited made a recession more likely, it seems that our panelists were not convinced overall that Australia was headed for a recession. When asked directly whether a recession was likely in the next year, only 16% of panelists said this was either likely or very likely, a result that remained relatively steady through our economists surveyed over the last few months despite the worsening economic environment. So here we go, likely or very likely. Neither likely nor unlikely. Oh, well, there you go. Well, but remember, guys, economics. I remember. I, I actually studied. I think I did a year of economics at university. I wanted to go down the finance path, and then I saw sense, and, uh, <laughs> and did architecture. But I remember we were doing all these subjects, and I thought it was quite funny how they kind of were trying to to uh, treat themselves like a hard science when they were most certainly a soft science because I did all the physics and chemistry at high school and then to encounter this and I'm thinking well, wait a minute and this was we were getting a, a funny Chicago Keynesian education uh, and now the more I learn about you know psychology and how people think and uh, the Austrian school it's all changed my whole perspective but I thought it's quite interesting because remember guys it's not a hard science and uh, I, I question a lot of the approaches that, well, that they use, fundamentally, the school of thought. So, but just why is it, despite all the doom and gloom, economists still think the economy will continue to grow? As to uh, what my personal views are after completing these two pieces, I'll get to that in the end. So here are nine reasons why we won't experience a recession in Australia in 2020. Okay, the first reason, the lower Australian dollar is a boon for many businesses. 
The Aussie dollar has fallen dramatically against the US dollar this year and should continue to slide. It has fallen from a high of 72 cents in February to 67 cents today. With a okay, at the time of writing, at the time of writing, I'm just going to bring, prepare uh, prepare my trading economics so we can have a look at what the actual price is. It's 68 cents at the moment. Um, with the majority, 59% of economists surveyed in finance RBA cash rate survey, expecting it to its value to fall by a further cent or two by the year end. A falling Australian dollar is good for manufacturing, as it makes Australian goods and services cheaper for international customers to buy and gives Australian businesses an edge against competitors. This should line up to help create more jobs. Okay, so I'm going to write, I'm going to write a timestamp here. And I will link to a video I did about Australia's manufacturing industry and how I, our PMIs are going down, how it's going down. Uh, that's not aligning with this. And there is another issue. Oh, we'll go here, you know, uh, the low dollar is also good for tourist business, tourism business. More about that later. It means tourists have more money in their pockets to spend. Okay, and he's given some examples. And here's the value of the dollar heading down. I remember when it was above, above one for one. But let's have a look. There are a few issues with that. Now this here, this website, is from the Australian. Um, what is it? This is Australia from the Observatory of Economic Complexity, guys. Okay, and there's the link to it. And I have to do that transition so I can see the mouse on here. It's, it's very complicated with my system. So what are our exports? Iron ore, coal, petroleum, gas. They'll all do well. Gold will do well. Now, this is a couple years out of date, but iron ore is now up to 30%. We are the biggest exporter of iron ore in the world. Who is our biggest client? I wonder. I wonder which nation. Oh, China. China. Now, China's in the middle of a little tiff with the United States. That could impact their demand for iron ore. Our treasurer is hoping that domestic demand in China will you know, keep us going. He's hoping. It's completely beyond our control. The reason we have a budget surplus is because the iron ore price is so high. So that's great, okay? All these things will be more affordable on the global market. That's good. He's right. But everything in this list, all of these imports will get more expensive. All of this represents cost of living or a substantial proportion of it, particularly this one right here, refined petroleum. That will have a cost of living impact on people every day of the week. You know why? You all know why. And the, you know, the cost of petrol going up, that will flow through to all the other goods that are even manufactured here and transported around our country. So Will this increase, you know, the benefit from having a lower dollar improve the demand for, for all of these resources or the affordability for these resources if demand still maintains high, still stays high? Will that offset the cost of living increases that the average Australian is going to experience here, particularly when we look at the ownership of some of the mining companies in Australia, how much of that profit increase will flow through? And okay, you know, fantastic, the, uh, the government will get more money. But I mean, you know, who cares? They're just going to piss it away on some social justice project anyway. So it's, this isn't as good news as, as we're always taught, led to believe. There's a double sided, there's a double side to that. And we'll look at the tourism as well. Well, here we go. Tourism keeps coming, or tourists keep coming. Australia's Sun Sea 
and sand continue to attract visitors. The number of tourists coming to Australia has been increasing steadily since the 1990s, with nearly 10 million short-term visits arriving on Australian shores, or more like the airports, over the 12 months to June. It's almost 40% of the Australian population arriving every 12 months to holiday, with the tourist tourism industry making up around 3% of GDP. This is a very important, important job creator in Australia. Okay, 3% of GDP. That sounds impressive. Mining's 10%. Okay, it's 3%. So one third of a sector that's dependent on... Now we'll have a look at this article. Sorry, not this video. This is with wage growth stalls. Okay, and this was... A, a, I looked at this previously where wage growth stagnated at 2.3% despite a jump in public service pay. And if we scroll right down here to this chart, you can see the wage price index by industry. And if we go down here and we just highlight, where is it? Where is it? If we highlight where you've got retail trade, that would be affected. And you've got accommodation and food. So these are two industries which are influenced by the large tourism numbers. And look at the quarter on quarter change and the year on year change. Okay, quarter on quarter is very, they're the lowest. Only information, IT, media, and tech is lower. Okay, accommodation of food's doing okay, but retail trade is pretty low. So that's something to consider. There are claims that, that we're getting more people coming and coming, but we're not seeing it flowing through into the wage increases of the retail trade or into accommodation. So it may sound good. But is it flowing through? The data doesn't seem to show that it is. It's not booming. It's not booming. And a big part of that is, you know, will that continue now with all the bushfires that we have in Australia at the moment? That's going to scare people off. And if our dollar, people, you know, if our dollar sits it this way, if the US dollar becomes more attractive, will more people travel over there? So we can't pin all our hopes on 3% of the economy. Okay. And just everyone I'm talking to all the people from Northern Queensland, how many, how many luxury island resorts are abandoned and are not being used? How many cafes are dead quiet? How did Sydney have to you know, change their lockout laws and is now laughingstock of the world? So point three, our population continues to grow at a higher rate than most other countries. As we've seen, Australia has always been an attractive destination for tourists, including backpackers on working holiday visas, some of whom choose to stay. Australia also attracts thousands of migrant workers who are hired from overseas to fill skills shortages here and tens of thousands of international students. Net overseas migration alone is responsible for over 60% of all population growth in Australia. Australia's population is currently growing at around 1.6%. This is higher than the US, the UK, and many European countries. A steady growing population generally fuels an economy by increasing the number of consumers in the market as well as demands for jobs. As long as the sun keeps shining, Australia can rely on this population growth to remain steady. But also has some negatives. If it grows too fast, infrastructure does not keep up. And this is a video I made with regards to our population growth and our water supply. Our population growth since 2000 grew by about 25%. A water supply about 1.88%. A storage capacity. We're starting to depend more and more 
on desalination. And there's talk about recycling sewage water. So that would yeah. be a sign to me that our planning for infrastructure hasn't kept up with population growth. Yeah, that's the concern. And that puts more pressure on everything else. Another thing with increased population growth, or rapidly increasing population growth, is that it puts pressure on existing infrastructure. The housing sector. Wonder why are houses in, so unaffordable compared to average income? Wonder why that is. Why has wage growth been stagnant for the last 10 years? I wonder why. This is the thing. When you have these huge population growths in, what, three cities? Maybe we need to look at maybe spreading out our population around a whole bunch of this country that's not doing much. You know? So, yeah, there's a positive and negative to this. Definitely. Point four, unemployment remains low. Considering the above, it's reassuring to note that the Australian unemployment rate currently sits at 5.2%. This is right in the middle of the 4 to 6% bracket most economists consider to be healthy. While this is not as low as the US, UK, or Germany, it's far below Greece, Spain, and Italy. So we're compa comparing Australia to the Mediterranean jokes of Europe, frankly from an economic perspective. Greece and Spain. Spain has such tremendously high youth unemployment, it is ludicrous. Greece had to be bailed out, and now they've got a whole lot of issues over there. And Italy, I mean, I'm reading rumors that they're at the point of leaving the EU. Oh, and France, 8.6%. Yeah, France is fine. They've got no social problems there, do they? People not, you know, a rat problem plaguing Paris, people sleeping on the streets, parts of the city unaccessible to normal people. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's compare us to those nations, guys. We're doing better than them. And the EU average of 6.3%. Well, this means, what this means is uh, that the Australian economy is creating sufficient jobs to keep unemployment rate low, despite our relatively high population growth. Okay. Here's another take on that. And I have done a video on this, and I'm going to write this time down. This is the Roy Morgan alternative to the ABS and their methodology for measuring unemployment. And they've got the website here. The big issue is the combined unemployment and underemployment, which is sitting at 18.3%. That is the problem. And that's going to continue to get worse, particularly with the gig economy. That's what we need to be concerned about. And then you've got people who are marginally attached to the economy as well. So yes, my, I prefer the Roy Morgan methodology and they're saying our unemployment is sitting at, what is it? Nine point, uh, unemployment or Roy Morgan is at 8.7%. And in that video, I go through the differences in methodology that they use to assess it. So that paints a bit of a different picture. Doesn't just think 20% of the people are either unemployed or underemployed. So here we go. Here's, here's a really a good one. Australian tech is booming. Is booming, really? Really? You won't go far in modern workplaces, including FindUp, without using a product made by Atlanti and Atlantisan, an Aussie tech firm that has become a very big deal. The company floated on the US stock exchange in 2015, 
making both of its founders instant billionaires. With a current market cap total value of 18 billion, Atlanticism is Australia's biggest tech export, tech export, and it's not alone. Both Computer Share and the REA Group are worth around 10 billion, with several other companies running behind them. While the ASX is still dominated by traditional enterprises, Australian tech firms such as Cochlear, OFX, Freelancer, Afterpay, Car Sales, Culture Amp, Appen, and Finder have been expanding into international markets such as the US and UK, with profits made overseas fueling further research, development, and jobs in Australia. Now, we have a look at this company. Here's a striking thing. They listed on the NASDAQ. That's how they made their money. That's how they grew. And they're based in Australia. But for how long? Is it guaranteed? Is it guaranteed? Why did they have to list in NASDAQ to grow? I mean, come on, guys. We all know why. Because of the market scale. And how much of their revenue is overseas. We're seeing it even from Domino's. That their overseas revenue is helping prop up their Australian business. So... I'm quite cynical when anyone says Australia is an innovative nation or Australia has a tech boom. Our education standards on a global scale are going backwards. Our population isn't of the scale compared to America, where people can generate the same revenue or have the same opportunities or market scale. It's that simple. I mean, we've got a few examples here. But they had to go over to NASDAQ to list. So I wouldn't say our tech is booming. Just look at the... You know, the, what is it? The creator space here in Brisbane. I mean, come on, guys. So, nah, I'm not going to give you that one. Sorry. If our tech was booming, we'd have our own version of Silicon Valley. So, over student, overseas student numbers keep increasing. Now, is this a good thing? Australian universities are becoming increasingly popular internationally, with the number of foreign students increasing steadily since 2002. While the number of places offered to overseas students has caused some controversial controversy recently, the high fees paid by these students means there is more cash available to maintain Australian university infrastructure and fund jobs in education. Okay, that sounds good. But I remember from my time at university that a lot of the jobs that are created are non-productive jobs. They're bureaucratic jobs in the universities. Now we're getting to the point where these universities have so many non-productive, non-research, non-teaching staff in there, it is hampering their ability to, to go forward. Just look at Bettina's tour of all of the universities and all the rubbish she has to put up with, all the bureaucracy. So, yeah. No. This, this is a sign that our universities are now getting dependent on foreign funding foreign students. Look at the Confucius Institute. Look at the influence that China is having on our universities, our education system here. Look at the rampant growth in uh, you know, leftism at our universities, which I know is a normal part of university education and people grow out of it, but still. Still. So, I mean, and another thing, this is what they told me when I was at university, was Australia will always be attractive to the students because it's cheaper than the US. If they can afford it, they go to the US. The better students head to the US, they don't head to Australia, particularly from the Asian countries. Maybe that's just an anecdote, but felt right. So, seven, the government is investing heavily in infrastructure. Okay, cool. Why is our water capacity not kept up with our population growth? Why, why are we having bushfires here in Queensland? We don't have water to fight them. 
when monsoonal rainwater is flowing right into the ocean? Why are we not looking at ways of turning Australia into a breadbasket to make it cheaper to produce water or a manufacturing industry that can't compete globally? One of the reasons is our energy costs are so insanely high. Why? Why? Why are we shutting down our coal plants and building inefficient wind farms everywhere? Or solar plants that only run for half the time, if that? Tell me. But anyway, the federal government has committed to investing $100 billion in infrastructure projects over the next 10 years. This will fund multiple projects including WestConnect in Sydney, the long overdue airport rail link in Melbourne, an upgrade to the uh, Sydney-Brisbane Pacific Highway, and the Melbourne to Brisbane Inland Rail, an expansion of the passenger rail network in Perth. All of these projects will create jobs with three experts, Shane Oliver of AMP Capital, Malcolm Wood of Value Hoist, and Stephen Cocolis of Market Economics from our RBA panel, citing infrastructure spending as one indicator that we're less likely to experience a recession in 2020. Okay, let's have a look. Let's have a look at infrastructure spending. And uh, I mean, this is a, a uh, what is it, blog post from who is it? iseekplanet.com.au, a complete list of Australian infrastructure projects. And I will share this with you. If you want to go through it, because it seems like a really good job that they've done here. They've got all the different projects here. I mean, West Connect, we'll just go through it. Melbourne to Brisbane, in rail, inland rail, in Randlale. Inland rail, great, 9.3 billion. Will they build satellite cities along this? You know, right down here through all these towns in the middle of nowhere. Okay. An outback way, 160 million. Fantastic. So New South Wales, airport infrastructure upgrade. Great. That'll generate, you know, hopefully more flights and more capacity. So that'll have an ongoing effect. West Connects, good, good on you. You know, Sydney Metro, 12 billion. Well, there you go. We'll see if that'll happen. West Sydney infrastructure plan. But there's one I want to go through here. I mean, these are all large scale transport and infrastructure projects. So they're allowing for the movement of goods, services, and people driving along. So they sound good and they'll create unemployment for years to come. But there's one issue I just want to highlight, and this is a Queensland project here. And this is our Cross River Rail, which is costing $5.4 billion. Now, I was talking to a gentleman who worked for the government. And one little tidbit he shared with me is that while it will create jobs now, it will create jobs now, every passenger that goes under this rail will be subsidized to the tune of $54 forever. Okay? Forever. So we've got to just keep these things in perspective. So it's good. And these things take time. These things, these projects take time. Will they be worth it in the long run? I mean, it's all just roads and infrastructure. Do we have any power plants? Any power plants? We've got trains, trains, and more trains. You know, Project Red Dragon. What's this? Uh, development of advanced prawn aquaculture production facilities. Okay, cool. $1.4 billion. Uh, Annam Road upgrade project, right? That'll be a road in Northern Territory. Tasmania. Uh, replacing a bridge. So there you go. I mean, everything here is roads, a few projects, a lot of rail, a light rail. So it's all going to provide some benefit to our transportation. And that certainly will provide some economic flow through. But is it going to make our water cheaper? Is that going to, is that, is that going to have such a big impact on your cost of living for the investment that it's going to have?
What happens if we could invest in, I don't know, maybe some nuclear power in each state to reduce our cost of power production significantly? Or maybe create some special economic zones in Australia that provided, you know, maybe incentives to value add to all of these resources that we're sending overseas. So instead of sending iron ore, we're sending over metals, maybe, instead of importing them. Maybe, maybe just, just, just the theory, just the theory. So, you know, while I'm glad that the spending is happening, I'm not pinning all my hopes on it. I'm not pinning all my hopes on it. Nothing there, nothing there at all screams innovation. Nothing screams innovation. It seems like same old, same old. And it's going to take a lot of time. So eight, the housing market recovery looks real. Okay, well, while the volume of stock on the Australian property market remains low, prices keep creeping up. The average sales price increased by 0.8 nationally in August, with the highest increase recorded in Sydney of 1.6 and Melbourne of 1.4. These are very significant increases. Indeed, as recent uh, report by Elizabeth Knight of the Sydney Morning Herald, 12 months of similar results would mean a full recovery. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, come on. If this continues for a year, if this continues for a year, we're right back there. Does anyone else see this like someone who's holding a bag and is desperate for it to shoot up? You know, a bag of dodgy crypto they invested their life savings in? I mean, okay, cool. It's gone up. Guys, that, that's not a sign. I mean, let, let's jump. Let's jump here and look. Okay, it's gone up. What's happened in that time period? What's happened in that time period? We have, we have our, hmm, maybe our Reserve Bank has done something to the interest rate, to the cash rate. Maybe, maybe it has. What's our interest rate? Hmm. Oh, wait, they cut it. Oh, and a few years ago, they cut it again and they, they cut it there and they cut it there and they cut it there. Oh, let's go further out. Oh, they cut, 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 cut. Okay. Cut a lot. Cut a lot. Oh, and, and, and is there some problems with some apartments around the country too? Destroying consumer confidence, people getting locked out of their, you know, out of their houses. Maybe a demand more for residential property. You know, here we go. However, the recovery remains uneven. Prices have fallen in Adelaide, Darwin and Perth. While the charts are definitely heading in the right direction, we can't fully rule out the possibility of this being a dead cat bounce. Yeah, that's what I'm putting my money on. That is what I am putting my my Steiner coffee. I would bet on that. So here we go. Here's number nine. Australia has dodged a recession, called it several times before, proving that we may be the lucky country. Australia has managed to avoid being dragged into surrounding recessions on at least three occasions in living memory. Memory the most significant, which was the global financial crisis of 2007. Okay. No. No, we haven't. No. Our economy. Our economy, and I'm going to write down here, I've done a video about this recently. Our economy has been depressed since the GFC. We've had, our economy should have grown 10% more if we had maintained our trend growth than that would have been then. So no, we may have dodged the technical term of a recession, but we've felt it. And we got bloody lucky. We got bloody lucky for the demand of a lot of our natural resources. That caused 
booms. That caused mining booms. Help me start my business. You know, we do $40 million just in two mines of work we helped build. That's not counting all of the other projects as well. I had, what, 12 people at one stage. We were just churning through these things. This is a tiny little firm in the middle of Brisbane. Nothing. So it just shows you how it flows through. And that was during the boom times. That was when they were building all the infrastructure. That was when they could cut. They could cut the interest rate from what it was. I don't know. Bloody high. Hang on. I'm looking at the chart over here. What? Over 4%. Or even more. Wait. 2008. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, over five. Damn. We'll have a look here. I mean, that's when they could cut this right here. Boom. Look at that. That's what they did. Where can they go here? Oh, negative. Hmm. Funny that. So it's not the same world. It's not the same world. And, you know, Kevin Rudd and his, his stimulus. What do we have? We have the BAT scheme. And, okay. That, that's it. That's an example of an infrastructure project that has made no difference. Okay. Because the cost savings that people will get from having installation in their house, how many people are actually going to adjust their habits because it's they, there's a slight temperature difference in their home that they can't even register? Probably none. Then the embodied energy to build those things, the bats in there, will take decades to pay off in the cost savings, which aren't happening. And now power prices have gone up. So they probably use that to claim that there's a saving. But you know, people need to change their habits. So just just do what I do. Don't put air conditioning in your house. Be cheap. There you go. So, and the building education revolution. I need to look into do a video on this. Just showing people the difference between the private sector and the public sector, and just the rot that it was. It was overheated again. A lot of money wasted. So nah, I I I'm not confident in this one. So no. Watch that video where I'll, I just show you the difference. So let's see his conclusion. I was expecting that writing this no recession piece to be more of a challenge than writing the recession piece a couple of weeks ago, and it was to a degree. But now that all the straws have been grasped together, they make a relatively convincing argument that Australia's long run of good luck may continue. On balance, I'm still cautious. Recent reports have shown that if you remove government spending from the economy, Australia's GDP would have shrunk in the June quarter. While this is sobering, it must be noted that it was partially spending on infrastructure that helped us dodge the last recession. Okay, so he's claiming, he's pinning his hopes that we dodged it. I feel I should put my money where my mouth is here. I'm in the market and purchasing a property in Sydney. And we've decided to hold off for now. Not only are the current sales figures insufficient to confirm whether we're on the right side of recovery, economists in our survey rank both Melbourne and Brisbane above Sydney when asked where they would invest a half a million. Additionally, only 45% of respondents said they expected property prices to continue to rise nationally. Market forces are governed in, e in the end by psychology, and the public seem to be convinced that we're heading for recession. We surveyed 1,000 Australians in a nationally representative consumer survey every month, and the number of respondents who think a recession is likely has increased steadily from 70% in May to 82% in September. So, okay, everything else is complete bullshit in this article. It's pointless to go through all of this stuff. To talk to your economist, everything, to put these charts up there. I mean, good work, mate. But but it all comes down to this. If 82% of people think we're heading for recession, we're heading for recession. It's that simple. It is that simple. And 
I mean, oh, you know, I'm holding off, but I, I may live to regret my decision. I mean, oh, come on, who cares? It's only money and stuff. Uh, <laughs> God, you got to get over this shit, guys. But th this here, this tells me right here. I mean, 82% of people think we're heading for a recession. 82% of people are going to cut back on their spending. 82% of, of people are going to make decisions to prepare for a recession. I mean, what, what do Rachel and I, we were celebrating last night. So what did we do? She went out and bought $10 of chocolate. That was a celebrating. You know, back in the day, it would have been a $100 bottle of champagne. That's how you save money, guys. Anyway, let me know what you think about this one. What do you reckon? You agree with him? You disagree with him? You think it's all going to be good? You know? And this is, I, it's just the, uh, what is it? A bear porn that I, I learned about the, the AF financial review piece on, on North. I still think that's a furry thing. I, I don't know what, what, you know, maybe we're getting some insight into the reporters from the, the AFR more than we need. Anyway, guys, like, share, and subscribe, and I'll talk to you later. Bye for now.